Church, I have been speaking to you over the last couple of the weeks uh, from my heart, trying to give you what I've called a living letter. And I want to continue that this morning. If you're, if you're visiting with us this morning, it's been a little personal, just me talking to the church. So I want to begin the same way I've started the past few weeks. Dear church, we've talked about some things the past few weeks. We've talked about the foundation of the church, how the church began, that it was founded by King Jesus. He is the sovereign, supreme ruler of the universe, the creator of the universe. He established the church. He is over everything. He's over everything. He created everything. He's put into place civil authority, and sometimes we scratch our heads about that, don't we? Because we heard about the prayer this morning for our country. But God knows and God puts people in place for his plan and his purpose. Jesus is over that. And he's also the head of the church. He is the king of a kingdom. He is the resurrected Jesus. And he is alive. He is ascended into heaven. And shortly after his ascension, Jesus kept a promise. It was 50 days after his crucifixion, it was some seven to 10 days after he had ascended into heaven. This day that's called Pentecost, a feast that the Jews celebrated. And it was on that day that Jesus kept the promise of sending his Holy Spirit to not only dwell with us, but to dwell in us. And that is the day that the church began in earnest. The big C, the capital C church, the universal church, and the local church. Churches like the church we are a part of. It was on that day that the church in Jerusalem was established and began. On that very day, thousands became part of the church. They responded to an invitation by the apostle Peter when he preached. And what did he preach? He preached difficult words. He said, this Jesus, whom you crucified, is both Lord and Messiah. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted that message were baptized, and about 3,000 became part of the church that very day. So the church in Jerusalem began. It started. It was born, and it was one of many churches that followed. And I just want to lay out what the New Testament says about local churches. Mostly, they were identified by their cities. In the New Testament, you will read about the church in Jerusalem for sure, and then in Antioch, in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Smyrna, in 
Pergamum, and Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Sancria. These are all cities that are named in the New Testament that have a church associated with them. Local churches were also identified regionally. The New Testament speaks of churches that were in the province of Asia, the churches that were in Galatia, the churches that were in Macedonia. Sometimes churches were also identified by the people they were connected to. So the New Testament talks about the churches of the Gentiles. It speaks of the church of the Thessalonians. These are mentioned in the New Testament as are churches where there were meetings in a house. The church that met in the house of Priscilla and Aquila. The church that met in the house of Nympha. The church that met in a house of Philemon. So the New Testament abounds with this notion of the local church. And it documents that the church started and it established these local, what I've uh, called outposts for the kingdom of God, sort of embassies for Jesus. And Jesus established authority in these local churches. We read in the New Testament about pastors and evangelists and prophets and apostles and teachers and deacons and elders. These are all part and parcel to the authority in the church. Paul, in his letter to Titus, he wrote, Titus, the reason I left you in Crete, and by the way, he, he says it's really not the best place in the world to be. He, he kind of let Titus know that. And he made some comments about the Cretans. But he said, listen, Titus, the reason I left you on Crete was because I want you to finish some business. I left you there to take care of things that haven't been taken care of. I want you to appoint elders in every city as I've directed you. So here is authority being transferred. Christianity had begun, and many had come to believe in Jesus Christ, and his church was being established and organized. And I know sometimes we cringe when we hear organized religion. But Jesus is not a person of chaos. He's not a God of disorder, but a God of order. And, and the roots of this order go back to that first message of Peter when 3,000 became charter members of the church in Jerusalem. Now, what was it that distinguished these people from others? It was repentance. Repentance coupled with faith in Jesus Christ and then baptism. Repent and be baptized, Peter said. Baptism is a beginning. It marks the entrance of a soul into the new covenant. Baptism was a given. It was an absolute given in the early church. And I want to share with you several examples. And this is by no means exhaustive. But several examples of baptism in the early church. 
Acts chapter 8, it gives us an account of Philip preaching. Now, again, this is after Peter had said, repent and be baptized. 3,000 were baptized in Acts 2. In Acts 8, it says, when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And then we read about the conversion of a guy named Saul who became known as Paul. And we read in Acts chapter 9, after Ananias prayed for him, he got up and he was baptized. Paul now became this great evangelist and preacher. And he went to a city called Philippi on one of his journeys. And there he found a prayer group of women. These women were praying. And there was a woman there named Lydia. And she responded. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to Paul's message. And we read in Acts 16, she and the members of her household were baptized. Now later in that same chapter, Acts 16, Paul is thrown in jail. There's a miraculous earthquake. The jail's opened, and he preaches to the warden. And what occurs? It says in Acts 16, then immediately he, that is the warden of the prison, and all his household were baptized. Now I could go on and on, but I think you see the picture. Baptism, it's a response by faith, after repentance. When Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he presupposed baptism. I read earlier, what did the apostle write? Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ, this is the words of the apostle. He just presumed all of his readers there in the church of Rome, they've been baptized. He flat out assumed it. If you're in the church, you've been baptized. It's an initial step. It's an initiation into Christ Jesus and his kingdom. The students this morning, they've taken that initial step. They're in a biblically-based class right now. They have learned. They've had some instruction but they have made this decision to follow Jesus. Baptism is offered. It's not mandatory. We're not pushing them into the water. It's volitional. This is from the heart. Our students act in faith, and they make their own decision, and they take that initial step to be baptized. Now, beyond that, what occurred this morning? You heard as each one was baptized. I'm believing with you for that sign of circumcision to be performed upon your heart. See, because baptism is a, a sign, and it is the sign of the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Under the old covenant, the sign was circumcision. It was a blood covenant. In Genesis chapter 17, we read about it. And if you've connected with our reading plan for the year, we read Genesis 17 on the 17th. And I was reminded as I read 
God instituted this rite of circumcision with Abraham, the patriarch of Israel, and he said this, circumcision is the sign of the covenant between you and me. This is what God said to Abraham. It was a physical mark. It was evidence of being under the covenant. That was only for men. Women, wives and daughters, they were under husbands and fathers. But the new covenant is different. The new covenant sign is baptism and it's for all. And I want to read to you a little bit about this sign. The apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae and he talked also to them about baptism as he did the Romans. And he wrote this in Colossians chapter 2. And this is verses 11 and 12. Paul wrote, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Very similar to the words he wrote to the Romans when we're baptized. It's a picture of death and resurrection. But here, Paul says something's going on. There's a sign that's performed. Something goes on. It's not done with human hands. It's done by Jesus Christ. The sign of the covenant is made on a heart in baptism, and it is for all. It's for men, and it's for women. We read earlier that Philip, when he baptized, he baptized men and women. Lydia was baptized. The sign of baptism, the sign of the new covenant, this heart circumcision is for all, and it's applied when we're baptized. Now this morning, we all witnessed it. We witnessed these who were buried in the water of baptism. They were brought up, raised out of the water. We see in scripture that this is something that was done publicly. It's a public proclamation of faith in Jesus Christ. I've repented is what's being said here. And through repentance and faith, and water baptism were made part of a, a redeemed community, the church. When a person is baptized, it's part of our worship. It's part of what we do together. It's part of who we are together, and that strengthens our ties of uh, Christian community and our sense of belonging, not only to God, but to his people, to one another. Together we have shared the experience of each one who claims Jesus as Lord and Savior and openly expressed this desire to be obedient to what the word of God says and to be buried with him in baptism and to be raised with him through faith to walk and live a new life. We saw it, we heard it, we heard the declaration of baptism that was declared over each one of them. We received it with all of our senses, what took place. But on the inside, on the inside, we have read, the word of God says something happens, a sign, a mark is made. An operation without hands, an operation by Christ is done on the inside. 
And I really want to speak to this this morning, church. The apostle likened it to a circumcision, something where there's a removal, and it was done supernaturally. Paul wrote at the end of Romans 2, he said, it is a circumcision of heart by the Spirit. Now, is it a mark or a sign if it's all internal? How can it be? How can it be a sign of the new covenant if no one can see it? And all we saw was today. Now, tomorrow, if we bump into one of these students, or if we bump into any one of us who have been water baptized, where's the sign? Do we see the sign? How can it be a sign if no one can see it? Well, I say it can be a sign, and it has to be shown by the way you live, by the way you carry yourself. Dear church, how is it a sign of the new covenant? How is this sign of the new covenant manifesting itself in your life? Are you living your whole self ruled by the flesh that was put off? Are you living dead to sin? Remember what I read earlier in Romans chapter 6? Do you live like sin has been crucified and that you're no longer a slave to sin? Paul explained this in Romans 6, and I want to add to it. I want to add to what I've already read a little further down in this letter because in chapter 6, he really unfolds this, what occurs in baptism. Romans 6, 11, he said, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Now, remember, this is all following what he wrote about baptism. This is part of it. It's following along. It's the context of baptism. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. He went on. Verse 19, I'm using an example from everyday life. What's the example? To them, it was slavery. This is the example he was using. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. Uh, what's the apostle saying? He's saying, live this outwardly. Live this sign that's been done on your heart outwardly. Present it to others. What has been done internally, show it by the way that you live. Don't keep it all inside. Church, do you honor your baptism in righteousness and holiness and living as a new creature? Or are you despising the sign of, on your heart Offering yourselves to sin. Paul was emphatic with the Romans. 
do not offer any part of yourself to sin. But it happens. It does happen. And it's heartbreaking. I have been, over the last few weeks, trying kindly as possible to say, let's do an inner inspection. Let's look inside to make sure what, what's on our inner self is being displayed outwardly. Church, this is why I began two weeks ago saying, dear church, what are we doing here? What are we doing here if we're not living it outside of here? What does Christianity amount to if we do not live as we are called to live? If we only... If, if we would only display righteousness and holiness while we're here, if we only show that we're Christians for, I don't know, 60 to 90 minutes a week because we're around other Christians then, and then just set it aside for the rest of the week, how does that display the sign, the mark that's been made on our heart? In my time leading up to this morning and thinking about baptism and looking in God's word, I picked up this book. It's called Rise to Newness in Life. It's a book that uh, Pastor James Beale wrote close to 50 years ago. And if you don't know who he was, he was the second pastor of Bethesda. And I hadn't looked at this book in a long, long time. But I opened it up to the first page I never remembered this, but it hit me right between the eyes. Page one, sentence number one. Why do so many seemingly good Christians go so haywire? God has been good to these people. What gives? That was Pastor James Beale. What gives? Dear church, what gives? I understand the sentiment. I have seen good Christians go haywire. Now, please don't get me wrong. I don't feel like there's some major ground swell. There's, there's a, a whole bunch of you that have gone haywire. No, that's not what I'm saying. But we do short circuit every now and again, don't we? And we got to get our connections back in order. And then from time to time, there are some that go totally, completely haywire. That mark the sign of the covenant made on their heart. It's begin to fade. Maybe a short circuit here or there. A little impurity here or there. A little wickedness here or there, to use the words of Scripture. Belittling, disparaging, setting aside what occurred in baptism. Not appreciating the significance of being brought from death to life. Letting sin reign in their mortal body. And then they go totally haywire. And I, I've asked that same question that uh, 
Pastor Bill asked, what gives? But I know, I know there are many of you here this morning, you face tough times. You have faced challenges. You have faced temptations. There are times where maybe you've short-circuited a little, and you could have said, where is God? He is not here. He certainly doesn't seem to be helping me. You could have turned your back on him. You could have turned aside on a mark that's been made in your heart. But your baptism was significant to you. The mark, the sign of the covenant was important to you. That internal mark on your heart you took seriously. You, you knew it was true. And you were true to that mark that was made on your heart. And you made a conscious choice to live that sign outwardly despite the fact that you were being tempted and pulled and life was throwing all kinds of things at you. You stayed the course, and you honored your baptism, and you honored the sign of circumcision that was made on your heart when you were baptized. You honored God by being a slave to righteousness and to holiness instead of being a slave to sin, and you were blessed. And I can look out here, and I can see blessed people, and I can see blessed families because you were blessed, and your families were blessed. And in turn, God's church was blessed. I learned this in a very profound way not that long ago. Uh, I, I received this lesson maybe half a dozen years ago. This morning, I had a very exciting announcement. Very exciting. My daughter is getting married. She has a man our family loves, and we look forward to the future. But about six years ago, many of you know, my daughter went through a difficult divorce. One of the hardest times of my life. It's not what she wanted. It's not what I wanted. It's not what our family wanted. But she couldn't change things. And I'll never forget the day she told us it was done. It was a hard day. And I went with her the next day to get her things. She really didn't have much. And there was a letter waiting for her. And what it said was very difficult to read. And my daughter just collapsed. She fell on the floor. And I just fell on the floor with her. I just fell down on the floor with her. And I held her while she wept. She wept. She wept. And then something happened. And it was, you know, sometimes I, I hate these things. That's what happened. She's like, oh, I got a text. We're sitting there on the floor. She's wiping tears from her eyes. She starts to read a text from someone in this room. And it told her, this doesn't have to define you for the future. It doesn't mean your ministry to God is gone or your ministry to the church is gone. Your future's bright. It's in essence what it said. It came at just the right time. 
from someone who took their baptism seriously. And so we picked ourselves up. We got up off the ground. And we got our stuff and we left. Now when we arrived home, she said, I, I want to make a phone call. And she stayed in the car. And I said, okay. She wanted to call her cousin and she wanted some privacy. And I said, that's fine. And a few minutes later, some drama unfolded on my front lawn. And uh, my daughter got out of her car and she stood next to her car and she just watched. Nobody saw her but me. I saw her standing over there on the other side of my car while there was all this drama going on. And uh, you, you wonder, what, where is God at certain times, right? And the thing is, God allowed her to see what was going on. And later that night, she received a text message. And it described all the drama that went on. But she read it. She's like, well, that's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. Because I watched it all. And I think that's really when she hit bottom. She was just broken. Like, you know, you just, you think you know someone, and man, she was just at the bottom. But then you showed up. You did, and you did, and you did. You showed up. You who honor that sign on your heart. Day after day, people showed up. And they told their stories. They told their stories of restoration and hope. Uh, my daughter, I'll never forget, several times when people came and left, and she said, wow, I had no idea. That person went through that? They were abandoned by a spouse? They had a spouse who was unfaithful? I never knew it. It's because Jesus had carried them. She kept all kinds of cards that she received. She got a big box of them by, by you, from you, who took seriously the mark on your, your heart. Many of you who could have turned your back on God because you went through similar times and hard times and tough times, but you put in practice in your daily lives the Word of God that says you're new and you're new creatures. You'd been hurt. You'd been deeply wounded. You could have given up on God, but you didn't. You stayed with him, and you stayed with this church, and you stayed with his people, and you showed up, and you showed that there is a hope for the future. But now what if you were the offender? What if you're the one who's caused hurt? What if you're the one who's brought injury? Is there any hope? Can you have hope? Is there forgiveness? Well, the answer is yes. Genuine repentance before God will yield his forgiveness. God honors a contrite heart. If we confess our sins, the word of God says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all 
all unrighteousness. That's his word, and his word is true. He'll forgive. Now, what about reconciliation? Can you be reconciled with the person you hurt? Well, there's a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. In some cases, reconciliation is impossible. Perhaps a person you, you've hurt has moved far away. Perhaps a person you've hurt has already passed away. King David, he could not achieve reconciliation with Uriah. Why is that? Well, he killed Uriah. No way that he could achieve reconciliation. But David laid his heart before God. He was the offender. He laid his heart before God. He said, have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me of my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. This was the cry of David, the one who had offended. You know, perhaps you've been unfaithful to a spouse, and your former spouse is remarried. Reconciliation, going back to the way things were, it's impossible. But you can still express your repentance. And I know some here who have. They've repented before God. They knew restoring the relationship was impossible, yet they, they reached out and they said, you know, I'm sorry. I hurt you. I sinned. I was wrong. Reconciliation may not have been possible, but the door was opened to forgiveness. You know, they might have been the offender, but they were willing to humble themselves and show the sign that God marked on their heart. Even though they may have strayed and sinned, it still meant something. They still we're going to do their best to cling to righteousness and holiness and not be a slave to that sin. They were expressing outwardly what Jesus had accomplished inwardly on the heart. Dear church, if we truly believe by faith that the divine Savior of the world has done a work on our hearts, let's live like that. And whether we've been offended and sinned against or whether we've been the offender, don't deny or disparage what God has done on your heart. Deal with the short circuits of life before you go totally haywire. Let others see the Lord Jesus Christ in you. Let others see what the Lord has done. Let others see your heart has been circumcised by Jesus Christ. And you'll be blessed and you'll bless others. I know it because I've seen it. Now, if you've not been baptized, I want to encourage you. Let's talk. Call the church. Let's make an appointment and talk about this. We have a baptistry, and it's available every week. If you've not taken that step of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, step forward. Let's, let's hear from you. There's forms in our racks. You can call the office. Make your request known. We want that. We want that initial uh, sign to be marked on your heart so that you too can...
be living, slave to righteousness and holiness and not to sin. I wanna invite you to stand as we close and let's just pray. Let's pray together today as a church and ask God to help each one of us to honor that sign on our heart. And let's ask God too for these that have been baptized this morning that they would be able to do that now till their final day. Father in heaven, God, thank you for your people. Thank you for the loving kindness of your people, the grace that many have shown because Jesus, you've marked their hearts. God, may it be that every single one of us would honor you and honor that we have been made new covenant people, that you've, you've circumcised our heart. You've marked us inwardly by an operation made without hands, but God, help us to live it every single day. Help us to show others. Help us to declare to this fallen world that Jesus Christ is alive in us and he's done a great work in us. And help us to show it to others, God. Help us to show it and to care about others and to, to uh, show the love of Jesus. God, I pray that blessing on every single person in here, Lord. If there's, if there's anyone who doesn't know you and, and hasn't stepped forward to be baptized, God, like your word says, I pray that they would repent and step forward to be baptized and make the request known. Lord, we want that. We desire it, that your kingdom would be expanded biblically, as your word says. Now, God, I pray you'd bless your people. I pray your hand would be upon them, and you would bless them as they go, and you would keep them. And Father, give us opportunities this week to let that mark on our heart shine. And I ask it, God, in the name of our risen Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, amen.